Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cjanechapman.co.uk. That's swechangehappen.co.uk. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 45, with the title Living on the Edge. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Andy Maritos. Andy is the CEO of Chrysalis, a charity supporting trans, non-binary, and questioning people, together with their family and friends. When I asked Andy to describe their superpower, they said that they genuinely believe in people. Hello, Andy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to be here. Yes, and we're, this is the day after with the latest announcement that uh, lockdown has been extended for yet yeah. another four weeks to the end of July now. Another another four weeks of talking to people on Zoom, but that's what it is. <laughs> I know. I did my first in-person training gig yesterday, and it was really strange presenting to a, a room full of people socially distanced. It was Actual humans. Really, really hard. Yeah. Say again, sorry? Actual humans in an actual, actual space. Humans. Actual humans, actual space. Yeah, the challenge was there was too much space, and it was very difficult to have conversations and talk to each other, but there we are. But yeah. Mm. So hopefully one more month, and we'll be back. To, to normal. And um, we can talk about what we mean by normal in a minute, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, Andy, um, living on the edge. We talked about this just now. So what does living on the edge mean to you? So I think I've never quite known the language, fitted in whatever, seen myself in the space of all of those people over there. Um, and that flows through everything inside me. So that's the music, that's my growing up. Um, does it enable me to define my gender identity and my sexuality? Probably all of those things are, are just edges, not quite in there. But for me, that's, um, it's a great space because on the edge um, and I'm sure there's a Pratchett quote in here somewhere, but you can see things more clearly. Um, anybody who knows me knows that I love Pratchett and inevitably there's going to be some quotes that slip in here from um, some of his stories. I think he's, although he's an author, I think he's a great philosopher. Um, and being on the edge so it makes me see things differently but it makes me that much more able and willing to reach out and um draw others closer to to make the edge a safe space in and of itself that it's okay to be different that being different is just as awesome as everything else and maybe the the more you look at it, the more you explore the um, the concept, the more you see that everybody's got a bit of edge inside them. Yeah, interesting. I, I mean, I, I probably spent the majority of my life tucked in the middle in typically middle class, typically white, typically in a family unit, you know, the 2.4 nuclear family typically on that rat run of acquiring assets, being a good employee, doing as you're told, growing in the company. I spent a lot of my life in that in that center middle ground. And it's interesting what you say. I, I would say in the last four or five, maybe six years, I've been edging closer to the outside of that. And when you say you can see things more clearly, I think you're so right. But I think when you're in the middle of everything, there's so much going on, so much conformity. You don't have the chance to really think about who you are, what you believe in. You, you just get caught up in that group think and that way you do stuff. 
So yeah, I can see that. So what have you learned from from your edge, if you like? <laughs> I think absolutely, like you say, that there is there's more space. You can see more. You can be yourself. So, um, I like you. I I started off trying to play the game, trying to fit in, um, did all the things that were expected of me. Um, like, you know, going to university, get into that career, get on the ladder. Um, and then, and, and in that time and that space, I was hiding very much. I was hiding who I was. Um, and that's not, I say not necessarily my sexuality or my gender identity. That's my real intrinsic me. That's the me that makes me who I am, which is much more than that. That's the alternative me, the me that thinks differently that sees things differently, that literally does not have anything else in the wardrobe that's not black. Um, And I try to conceal that. I try to conform. I try to pretend and I try to listen to the language and be like everyone else. And it just doesn't work. And eventually... um, I got made redundant, kind of thing happens to everybody. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people go through that. It's a life-changing moment. It's a time to reevaluate. And I found myself out of the corporate world and into the education world. And in there, I started to find a place of much more collaboration. Business manufacturing, it's all about competition. It's all about guarding your secrets. But in education, we were there to try and help each other grow and develop and nurture. And even though that's the job of the institution to do for the students, it also does for the staff and everyone connected. And um, so I started to grow and develop and to, to reach out and start to feel who my real me was. Um, and I went... I said to my boss, would it be okay if I got stuff put in my hair? Um, Because I'm going to an event um, and it takes quite a while to get this stuff installed. Um, And um, I'm going to have to be coming into work and sitting at my desk in front of you, looking a bit weird for a while. For me to have that conversation with my boss, who's a former army officer, a quite proper, was a massive thing. And he said, as long as it's not pink, I don't mind. And I thought, how little you know me. <laughs> it would literally, it, it might be any other colour, but it's never going to be pink. But I think that, it's just that absolute, yeah, absolutely, you are welcome here as you. Um, was like, oh, wow. I've kind of kind of found my space um and (laughs) I haven't told this story for ages now actually but it still gets me because yeah he was a ex-army um but he was we were in student accommodation and you needed someone who just totally got that people are individuals first and that you come to university to develop yourself and that he really valued that in his staff, in his team as well. Um, And I think that was the switch that flicked, that said you don't have to keep pretending. You don't have to understand that way of being because actually what you've got is more than that. What you've got is different. What you've got is valuable. And what you've got in yourself can create a world where it's okay to be you. Um, that, yeah, that being on the edge, living on the edge is valuable and creates change. Um, and yeah, from, from there, um, maybe I stuck around in that job a little bit long. I was within the education sector for 15 years. I, I came out there, but I think, yeah, I came out as an alternative. I started being visible as my whole authentic self. And from that, I gained confidence in 
in my authentic me, in my knowledge, in my brain, in my abilities to go forward, to go back into education, to learn more, and eventually to um, take the risk, take the leap to take on Chrysalis. Um, that, yes, I really could do it. So, yeah, that was 2017. I took a risk. I believed in me and I believed in my individuality. And I believed it was strong enough that that belief could carry through and believe in all the other people involved. And with that belief, we could all become our authentic selves. Um, it's interesting what you said about coming out as alternative. I mean, I, I, I think back to, so I'm, I was born in the mid sixties. I, so my kind of growing up formative kind of year with seventies, um, in those days, people used to align themselves more with music. So punk, you had rockers, you had, um, goths, you had fans of the Smiths. Um, so people used to align themselves with, with their identity was around that. And then of course we had the new romantics of the early, early eighties, the Duran Durans, the Simon de Bonds, all this thing. So people didn't really, come out was alternative they were part of a music crowd sort of thing people were punk people were rockers not in not in the corporate world absolutely no not in the corporate no, sorry not in the corporate world but no you but could, you could be that at the weekend would, yeah, um, society yeah <clears throat> but you I, i've I, i've spoken with colleagues who you know they take all their piercings out for an interview um, guys who wouldn't even have like one piercing, um, yeah, certainly in the nineties, you you just wouldn't be seen as you. I think hair color, visible tattoos, um, and I think those changes that have been driven by those of us who, for whom that is an intrinsic part of who we are, but. Who, We've gradually moved up in whatever fields. We've seen that, oh, my goodness, a tattoo is not going to destroy somebody's ability to perform a function or to, to do a job. So things have shifted. Um, and I guess I'm kind of, kind of going sideways, but this is me. Um, I think that the change that started with all those subcultures and certainly in in the UK with the musical subcultures I do think that that has been part of what's progressed the wider um inclusion um I don't want to use the word agenda um change you know just that that greater acceptance greater understanding of all kinds of diversity and that and I suppose because music is something that you control, that level of self-agency that is just an aspect of who you are and if you want to grow your hair or if you want to have a tattoo, then it doesn't change who you are. But I still think we're a very long way from that being acceptable at senior level. I think there are small pockets. I think it is coming up. Um, but I was on a call earlier watching lots of um, executives talk about how um, their fantastic allies uh, to the LGBT community from their um, you know, senior positions, and they all looked incredibly conformist in that every single person using he, him pronouns was wearing a shirt um, and so on and, and so forth. And so I think we're still a long way away from relaxing completely and meeting people on that actual genuine level so that then they can become that best person. We've still got all the assumptions and the, the covering, the need to perform in a particular way. We've come out of the weekend shadows into the mainstream over the last 10 or so years. 
as you say, we were in the seventies and eighties, we were kind of weekend punks. We and it was youth culture as well, yeah. I yeah. think. Um, and that certainly, you know, shifted, you know, we've, we've grown up. That doesn't mean that there's not young people in all of the scenes, but yes, it has certainly become much more. But it, it took the rock and roll era and the sixties era to start establishing youth culture, didn't it? And I guess in the seventies, there weren't enough people old enough to be not youth culture. People were still in their mid thirties, late thirties. It's only now that we've got people who have come through that era mm. of that freedom, that youth culture to understand that we're taking that, I'm taking that into my fifties and sixties now. Mm. Yeah. Whereas my, my parents, they were brought up in an era that, that forgotten generation, that, uh, war time yeah they were born on the cusp of, of the outbreak of war so they didn't really have that freedom in their teenage years to express and, and maybe as i say maybe the, the rock and roll is where the first teenage culture came from isn't it but yeah i agree but i think that there's um maybe a, a over um focus on very small groups so people talk about the hippies there were not that many hippies um if there were we'd be living in a very different world right now than the one we're in um and and the same with with the uh the subcultures the the culture of normality the culture of as you said that um go on down the 2.4 and half a dog path do not question do not assume oh my goodness there's definitely no way that we're ever going to tell anybody that we're gay um space that was was prevalent all the way certainly all the way through the 80s um oh hiv yeah yeah the 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 original partial decriminalization of homosexuality in 1967 and as soon as that that freedom was it was allowed then the hiv aids uh epidemic took over which kind of put a kibosh on that freedom of, of expression that people then had. Then Section 28, and with all those other things going on, you know, promo- uh, prohibiting promotion of uh, of uh, gay education in schools. So that, all, all that kind of restifled that, and it's now only that we've got past all of that, that constraint, if you like, that we're now able to sort of restart expressing ourselves. You think we've got past it? Well, it, from a sexuality, maybe potentially point of view, but we still see it in Hungary, we see it in Poland at the moment, we see it in many territories in the world. But and even in much of America, I, even though the UK is not perfect, it's, it's a lot more liberal, a lot more tolerant and accepting of, of varying identities than many places in the world. And you know, I'm not saying we should be count ourselves lucky or anything, because there are still areas where there's a lot to work to do. But we do have it relatively easier in terms of identity and expression than many other countries in the world at the moment. Mm. But I do wonder whether we talk ourselves into fearing that it's not so so great. Oh, yeah, I mean, Twitter, some of the Sunday broadsheets and tabloids, the, the constant barrage of, of hate that goes on around certain communities, the, the polarisation with the media stirring up discord where it doesn't need to doesn't need to be there creating this big debate around taking the knee black lives matter put this we're pitching pitching people against each other all the time trying to create this this debate in the media yeah yeah telling people they have to have a side whereas before people could form their own minds but now they've been given a side because of their their culture their background their tribe whatever it may be and and that that's you have to have a side. You can't have an opinion or a thought or a feeling or an experience. That is not nuanced. It has to be a side. And if you have to have a side, then we have to have defined it. And actually, we're talking about edges. Hmm. And there, there, there is no no other side, is there? It, you know. I mean, I, I, without I'm not going to express my view on taking the knee, but what, what one view I do have, which is a core belief of mine, it matters to some people, therefore it matters to me, it matters to them. So wherever I, my feelings on it are, and they're not negative, the overriding thing for me is it's not my 
It's not my cause. It's not my thing I want to do. But if it matters to you, I support you in what you do. And a lot of people don't see that as the conclusion of their thought process. They want to debate whether it's right or wrong. I don't care if it's right or wrong. I care that you care. Yeah, and that's that. Uh, when coming back to talking about the superpower of belief in people, that believing that you, you, Joe, are important, your belief structure is important, the actions you take, the reality that you describe to me is absolutely true and valid and important. <laughs> Listening is is where it comes down to isn't it but that's the that's the power that that really delivers positive change um if i ignore all of those things and you tell me what's important to you and i still ignore you then we're not going to get anywhere yeah and whenever i talk to people whenever i train whenever i consult with people i always come from the view that as human beings, we don't get up and set off the day to be nasty or have bad intent. And all I say is to people is, this is what makes me happy and this is what makes me sad. And I know generally you just want to make people happy. So these are the things that make me happy. And if we can stick to those, I'm fine we're fine. And maybe it's because I've got a clear understanding of what does make me sad and what makes me unhappy because of my identity, because of some of the, uh, the struggles I've had in the last few years, maybe other people don't realise through their privilege or their lens that or they actually got those the, things. they're in the middle, yeah. Again, mm. thinking about taking it, taking yourself out and having a look at yourself. And, and what does that mean? That, that being, being an alternative for me, that, that's uh, a subcultural thing, but it's being alternative to the mainstream in, in whatever way, isn't it? And doing that work. Whereas if you're comfortable in the middle, if you've never felt that tension, if you've never, um, if everything you've tried has worked okay, then that's all right. And you don't, you haven't done that work. You haven't thought about who you are. So you don't really know what makes you happy because you've never really bumped up against the things that don't make you happy. And um, in counselling, so I'm a person-centred therapist and our second principle for, for therapy is that the client needs to be in a state of incongruence. You need to have realised that something's not right. You need to have experienced something out of alignment in order to go and want to actively change it. Yeah, uh- I think we're you know, going back to what you're saying about this space on the edge. In the centre, it's very densely packed, isn't it? It's suffocating. There's no room to stretch. There's no room to sort of enhance and develop. And I think you're so right. On the on the edge, there is more grass. There is more free space. We're, we're living instead of living in the centre of the city. We're living in the country. We're living on the beach, and I've got my own space. And I I, I love the way that we, we we have an identity now of questioning. I think questioning is brilliant. That's me cross-legged in a grassy field somewhere, just trying to figure out who I am, what life's about, what my direction is, without having noise in my head all the time saying, you must do this, get on the conveyor belt, get off at the next exit, drive and drive. And I think questioning was a, was a fantastic place for me to be where I just figured stuff out and it, without that pressure. But you need to go out of the center. And it's safe in the edge. middle. It's so yeah. safe in the middle. Um, you do, if you don't challenge things, then you're not risking much. And I guess we're all capable of achieving intellectually whatever we achieve. Um, and we people take risks in business or whatever. But if you're in the middle, you can do all of those things and look like you're progressing, but you're not taking risks with your core being. You're not going, what if? Yeah, You're not taking that walk down the street when you absolutely know that you're going to get something shouted at you because you don't need to. Um, 
but I had a thought. Where did my thought go, Joe? <laughs> well, people were shouting at you. People yeah. were shouting at you. Um, and that's that's just one one example. Um, but it is about stepping outside your comfort zone, and they're, they're cliches, they're terms that people are like. Oh God, I don't want to do that. Um, but actually, it's amazing. Mm. It's amazing being different because you can do so much more. You can you can take a charity and go, no, it's going to be like this. And, and it is, and we've gone stratospheric, really, with the, the support that we're offering. If you're if you're different, you can go. Oh, heck, lockdown! Better do something, and turn on a sixpence because you're used to not following those those worn paths of thought because you know I know that they don't work for me. If if everybody else is doing it. I am not the person to try to persuade to do it because I'll be looking for why, what can we improve? Always, always, or if that's what everybody's doing, surely there's something better. Do you think when you're in the middle sometimes that you're seeking validation from your peers, checking that it's the right thing to do all the time? When you're nearer the edge or nearer that questioning place, you, you're so used to making decisions that are life-changing, affecting, and realizing those decisions, whilst they have consequences, they're not the enormous fear that you thought they would be. Hmm. I'd hate to generalize, actually, because I can think of a lot of people for whom living on the edge is constantly anxiety-inducing. Mm. Um, I think about um, all the the brackets of diversity and um, all the covering that people have to do, um, all of the extra lifting that you have to do, um, you know, whether it's visible, whether it's not, whether you come out, etc., etc. Again, go back to the um, being shouted out on the street. Um, but from a personal perspective, um, I don't know what the middle ever felt like because it was never. I was never in it. Um, so yes, I'm used to not getting that affirmation and, and re- making risks and just kind of relying on myself. If it feels right, do it. Because nobody's going to properly get what you're doing anyway until they do, until you prove. So for me, it's proving myself by my actions. I said I could do it. I did it. Hmm. I've certainly I think I'm stopped. probably just proving it to myself, but <laughs> I don't think anybody else I, I, cares. I've certainly found I, I, I've stopped asking permission. Mm. Um, and I remember distinctly feeling I needed to ask permission for things around my identity, re-evaluation, my career. I had business partners. I had bosses. So I was always feeling that I, I couldn't be empowered. But I suppose, I suppose it's really hard for me to to be specific about where this change occurred. One is, yeah, I, I obviously re-engineered my entire being in terms of career and gender identity at the same time. So it's difficult to work out whether I found imp- empowerment through change of career and, and passion and purpose, or whether that there was an alignment of self, and which one was the most crucial into finding myself, whether it was my gender identity or was it the alignment of passion and purpose? And I still look back on that and think, could I have done one without the other? I'll never know. There's no control mm. group. I can't ever <laughs> check that. Um, but I do wonder sometimes, was were they both necessary to find myself here? Uh, I think authenticity frees up who you are. 
So if you're looking at one aspect of yourself, it's really, really hard to only develop your left arm when you're doing weight training. Yeah. You kind of have to do the whole thing. And as somebody else said, you know, it's self-development is it's never ending. Um, you, there's always more you can do. Again, to go back to Rogers, you know, we'll never reach the seventh stage. We'll never reach nirvana and pure enlightenment because there's always something new to discover. Yeah, you're so right. Um, so my fear sometimes is I'm actually getting sucked back in the middle. I'm I'm kind of comfortable in who I am, comfortable in what I do. I have a brand. I have a what well, I, I have a stuff that I get on with. So I'm actually drifting back into the, into the middle again, not feeling so edgy. But maybe you maybe take my identity is edgy. Your knowledge of both what it feels like to be on the edge and your greater understanding of edge people. Mm. So in your place in the middle, you are then an ally to everyone mm. who needs you and your power, your knowledge, your experience to make a better space. Well, don't because get me you wrong. speak I'm, the language yeah. that we don't. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to go right back into the hustle and bustle of the middle. I, I want to find a little oasis, a nice bit of grass, a palm tree, and a little bit of water there, where I'm close enough to the middle, but I still have that that edge space, if you like. Um, uh, so I never want to lose that that feeling of freedom. I don't want to feel like I have to comply to other people's expectations and when you talk about being shouted at walking down the street i want to get to a point where i just go yep okay fine whatever yeah you see that's not good enough i want a place where there is no shouting at in the street <laughs> but being comfortable in my own skin yes. enough that i yeah. don't have to i don't have any internalized anger or fear or at that person i can just go I can just see them as misguided. I can just see them as that's that's your opinion. It's it's not fact. That mm. it doesn't hurt. It's, doesn't hurt. It's it, it's just as I describe it. It's graffiti on the wall. It's yeah. just something I drive by and read. It's not me. It's just uh, them. And that's not about putting armor on to um, defend yourself against the strikes. It is about just yeah, the, the, them just glancing off. They're, they're, they're yeah. not. They just don't hurt. They don't enter into your world. I guess what you were just saying about how when you're in the middle, um, you don't think about the outside. Um, and it's the same thing. You know, they're so irrelevant to your experiencing that you can just put them away as, oh, well, that's that, that individual. Okay, that's them. I don't need to think about it. So, hmm. Yeah. Completely. I going back four or five years, I was I hadn't learned to love myself, I think was probably the key thing. I hadn't learned to believe in myself. I hadn't learned to value myself. And I think that was part of what gave me inspirations to find that who I was, that one that one self. Hmm. And it became asking permission really, from the world to be you. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, feeling like I had to apologise. You internalise so much of it because you see it in the media, you see it in the press, you see it all over the place saying being you is wrong and therefore you internalise that I'm wrong. And when you when you let go of that and say, well, actually, I, I'm okay, I'm cool, I'm right, I'm happy with being me, actually what you think is not relevant in terms of how it makes me feel. And that's quite, quite a, a wake-up call one day and it's – I can't remember exactly when it happened, but I remember thinking, wow, it feels so quiet now. I haven't, I don't have that thought. And the other thing I found was having, not having a lie. You know, I'd lived my life with so many secrets inside my head, so many things I couldn't talk about. I think once you shared the biggest secret in your head, everything else is just a walk in the park. And I don't feel that I have to cover, hide, mask. If I've made a mistake, if I've, something I'm not proud of or whatever it may be or I'm scared of something I, I feel empowered to say it and let it out because I know that holding it in doesn't serve any purpose 
So it's yeah, having no sequence is a is a really powerful place to be. Where I'm not saying I'm an open book by any means, but I don't have anything inside me that is. I, I'd be fearful of telling anybody. Yeah, there's a difference between exposing yourself and everything about you to the world, and not lying to yourself. So yeah, like you say, you make a mistake. Ah, okay, people do, but actually, also, I'm really proud of what I did, and celebrating mm. that. Yeah, I, I remember telling my mum about me, whenever it was, four or five years ago. And I was thought to myself, unless I could tell my mum, I wasn't honest with the world. It was part of me saying, I, I've told my mum, therefore I'm not lying to anybody. Um, but whilst I was keeping a secret from someone who I cared deeply about, whose, whose views and thoughts mattered to me, knowing I was keeping something from her meant I was... I wasn't honest with everybody else. So, yeah, it was extremely powerful for me to, to make sure I, I shared all that information. Maybe selfishly at the time. Maybe I didn't think enough about how my mum would feel about it, but I was more worried about my feelings. Um, but no, with hindsight, it was necessary for both of us to move on. Yeah. And, and as children, we don't have control over what our parents think. No, we don't. But we will never, ever stop wanting their love and approval. And I guess thinking about what you've just said then, um, you're not always going to get it. But I think it's worth the risk of trying. I, mean, I think I, this is one of these quotes. It's everything you ever wanted is on the other side of fear. I can't remember who said it now, but that's really powerful. And how often does that fear of judgment, fear of rejection, fear of whatever it may be, stop you achieving what you want to achieve? And it's, overcoming that fear that's in your head often, isn't it? Yeah, and when you're so scared, of course, things go <clears throat> out rather than um, in that, that measured space that you can then allow some of their responses in and maybe move forward because it, you just threw it and ran away. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. It, it yeah, I, I guess. I suppose I'm lucky that I've been through that process personally, found myself the other side. So it was very tormentous. I often describe it as the Bermuda Triangle, that vortex where there was, you had to find an exit, either the way you came in, the way you want to get out, or just another path. But you you can't hang around in that confusion zone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for too long, otherwise it rip you apart. You get sucked into it rips you apart. Yeah, get sucked into it. Yeah. Mm. But I think that you don't. <laughs> very rarely does anyone come out on the path that they thought they were going to be on when they went in. That that there will be some that it, it changes. It changes you come out somewhere slightly different. Yeah, but that, that's exactly what I said earlier about the questioning area, isn't it? Hopefully you can find a calmness in that vortex to actually have that time to think, what well, now I'm here, What I've got all the options open to me, now where do I want to be? Um, and not feel you've got this predetermined exit planned. The exit of other people's expectations are, are often rather than your own desires. We feel like we've got to do something for somebody else. And that's that's a struggle as well. We have I'm not saying we shouldn't consider other people's feelings completely. We must must factor them in, but but when they have agency over you, it can become again you're living someone else's life, not your own again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, checking and consulting, but being your own agent. Mm. Yeah, I think also I recognise that other people had their own freedom of expression, their own freedom of choice, their own needs. 
So just because I shifted myself to the edge, other people around me had their right to not come with me, to stay in their comfort zone, to be who they wanted to be. And I very quickly realized that was part of the journey that we had. I had to allow everybody around them, around me to pick their own path. Yeah. And not say, I'm over here. You have to come with me. Because no, people would push back and go, I don't want to come with you. And I go, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. And that's that journey of self-enlightenment, whatever it looks like, whatever path you take, it is, and it's always going to be, people will join you, people will share it. Um, But they will always relate to the you that they relate to. Um, So if they like that you, then they're going to carry on relating to you. But if they don't, they might drift off um, on their own path. So when I was doing my counselling training, you know, they said, oh, this will change you. It's like, oh, no, of course it won't. What, what? <laughs> Never going to change any of us. We're all perfectly formed individuals. You know, we're well-developed. But actually, no, it does. And you see more clearly, you see what is real love, real affection, real respect. And you've come to value those feelings from people much more clearly, but you value it on their terms. I think that's um, rather than trying to butt two realities together. Is that Mm. making sense? Mm. I get that, yeah. Because I think, as you say, when you try and butt two realities together, you're not solving any problem. You're not talking. You're not opening up the dialogue. You're butting. You're you're, mm. you're clashing. Mm. You're trying to force two cultures together rather than unpick the best bits from both. And I guess following that through, if you develop yourself, you never lose because you've you don't fall apart horrifically. You can rebuild relationships. You can take aspects that that are the right and healthy parts of those relationships rather than just throwing it all away and and it all breaking down. And, I mean, I guess... That's specifically talking about um, LGBT plus coming out experience, but I think it's it's a truism for for much more about mental well being and about authenticity. Um, yeah, that just if you believe that people are amazing, if you believe that they are, in, if you believe in people. You can believe everyone is acting on their best best motives, even if you don't necessarily meet in a place of agreement. So, and it all comes round, and it's like, well, it's all been written about before, hasn't it? <laughs> but we all we discover it for ourselves. We discover that truth, and everyone will discover their own version of that truth. So tell me a bit about Chrysalis. So you took over as CEO four and a bit years ago, was it, around about that? Yeah, end of 2017, so however many years ago. that I'm not sure. I think we've we've lost like 15 months, haven't we? Did somebody just, okay. just like so feel them? Yeah. Four years, give or take, with a yeah. bit of a COVID lockdown in the middle. <laughs> um, you, you you inherited a the, ro- the reins of an organisation that was um, not dynamic and not going as – achieving what it could so what what inspired you to take over and what have you kind of what have you imagined if you like in that process um I think because I knew what the organization could do just because it wasn't doing it didn't mean it couldn't do it um and by that I'm I'm talking about you know that that vision of really creating safe spaces for everybody who needs the support because in doing that 
you create places for people to develop themselves and then you gradually make the world a better place. Um, and that mission of Chrysalis is, is core to, to my belief, my mission. Um, and so I knew it was possible. And when you're kind of on the edge of something, you can see what's going well, but you can see maybe what you would change. I said, you know, even if something's brilliant, there's always got to be something that you can improve. Um, and so that was the opportunity to go, right, well, these things are great. This is what needs strengthening. But actually, where else do we need things? And getting out there and communicating the vision, communicating my vision um, around the area, meeting with people like yourself and others who were like, yeah, we want to be allies. Um, and and I guess just, just gathering you all up in the wake of like, this is really exciting. This is really possible. And I took you all on that journey and you all had faith in me that we would come out and we have we've come out we're bigger we're stronger we've got over um 200 active members now i think you know we, we were around 50 back then um we've got solid data sets we've taken all of that knowledge all of that learning all of that passion from within and from all our allies and formed it into something that says, no, we're, we're really, we're going somewhere. Yeah, I've seen the change completely. I mean, I knew Christus a little bit before I met you in that pub in Southampton one night, mm. uh, the London, I think that's where we first met. Yes, um, yeah. And I've seen an organisation that was in the shadows, almost like lurking, on the edge, right on the other mm, edge, mm. in the dark shadows. Yeah, the coming dark, into shameful the light. shadows. Yeah, the shameful shadows mm. coming into this, into the public view, building relationships with organisations in the public sector, with private sector clients, being proud of not only your own identity as a CEO, but also proud of promoting other people's identities. I think mm. that's been a real shift not just with Christmas, but also in society where people are, are feeling less ashamed, less ashamed of who they are. And I think Christmas is certainly riding that wave and bringing people with the organisation to, mm. to, to be proud of who they are, not feel that they're, they should hide. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that... that... <sighs> Taking that, that drive to, to be authentic and, and, and taking it inwards and... and putting it outwards um, that I think maybe to go back to our analogy about edges, um, Chrysalis was, was trying to exist in the middle and didn't see the power of getting outside of that and just go, no, difference is awesome. Difference is amazing. Let's not try and conform. Let's value every aspect of every single person who comes to us as a volunteer, as a supporter, as a sponsor, as a as a member, and value and celebrate every aspect of each individual's diversity and difference. Hmm. And you've opened up new income streams. You've gone from a charity that was, I'm not saying destitute, but certainly hand to mouth, week to week. We had six months left to live. Um, and yeah, so, so <laughs> the first, the first, um, task I had was to fund my salary. So I'm eternally grateful to Tudor Trust, the trustees there who it's what they do. They, they take dreams and they trust and they show faith and they believe um, and they showed faith in me. They showed faith in my dream. And that was enough to then be able to go to, to the National Lottery 
um, who really believed in us, and, and both of them have been amazing funders. And we're still small. I think one of the great things about being small is if somebody donates a fiver, if somebody does a £100 fundraiser on Twitch, that makes a real difference. It's it, You're never just chucking money. It's We're really light, we're really agile, um, we're massively, to quote the trustees, punching above our weight. Um, because we know what we do is absolutely the best. Um, we took what there was, we made it better, and we're not going to stop keeping on with that improvement. There's a lot of people out there who've been hurt through denial, either themselves or through others, through discrimination, through hatred um, and abuse, and they're going to need our support. But also, I think even if even if being trans has never caused you any challenges, I think you can still come and, and share part of, of what we're doing. Come and celebrate. Come and help other people find authenticity. It's, yeah, not... Yeah, just get involved. Um, like I said to you earlier, everyone is, can be an ally to everyone else. You just need to reach oh, out. We're, we're all different at the end mm. of the day. We are, mm. we are all different. Um, yeah, so I, I'm I, I'm binary or non-binary, queer. I still see myself as, a, as as queer as well. So we all have our own sense of self. So we, we each need our own allyship. And, I mean, the world isn't a dangerous place at the moment, but there's a lot of stuff out there, isn't there, right now. You look at the media, Twitter, it's – if you immerse yourself into that anti-trans rhetoric, it's, it's quite a quite a strain on, on your mental health. I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly resilient person, and I get worn down and tired by it. Yet another attack, yet another article by these um, <laughs> supposed – charities and well good do-gooders if you like with a with doctor and professor uh, uh, and their titles quoting their their flavor of gender ideology if you like yeah. i think none of none of that is lived experience it's exactly what we said it's take a look inside and don't be scared when um when i do our training you know so Celebrate your gender identity. Everybody should be proud to be themselves. Be proudly cisgender. Be proudly white. Be proudly of this heritage or that heritage. It's who you are. Yeah. Every, every cis person who introduces themselves as a cis person because they're proud of it is someone who's just got that little bit of extra self-awareness doesn't mean you have to yeah and um and I think that has actually changed in my mind that's changed over the last few years so when I started uh doing this I talk about pronouns and people would look at you blankly and we'd have to go through the English explanation of what pronouns are and now pronouns are everywhere um and they might even make them onto Facebook one of these days, <laughs> officially. Um, and um, sorry, so I trapped myself there. And the same with the term cisgender, because when a label is given to people, it hurts. It's itchy. It doesn't fit. Trans as a label, certainly transgender and all the older words, they're itchy, they don't fit, they don't adequately describe. Also, may well be used as terms to harm, terms to hurt. But when people own the label and affirm the label, then it kind of rubs some of those edges off. 
so it fits a bit better for other people who want to try it on and to say, well, okay, it's a bit more roomy in here. It's not that marginalised box that I thought it was. Um, and I'm okay in this space. Or, nah, I tried it on and it didn't fit. And why should you not try on the cisgender label and determine it doesn't fit? Just the same as try on the trans label and determine it doesn't fit. Yeah. Um, For sure. And, yeah, we've all tried on various labels and decide that's uncomfortable or I'm in the wrong room or mm-hmm. I tried the right-handed label and I know I'm left-handed and or slightly ambidextrous. So, yeah, I know. Well, I just don't I like labels and I'm not trying any of your labels on. I am just <laughs> right, yeah. me. And don't ask me my pronouns because, quite frankly, that's none of your business. Is another yeah, one. Just, yeah. just call me Joe. Just call me Andy. That's yeah. the other way of looking at yeah. it. So we're right in the middle of Pride Month, um, dead centre of Pride Month. There's a lot of lot of logo changing going on. Are you are you seeing a lot of real action, real change going on in the work you do, or are we just seeing a lot of trans washing and pink washing going on? I think the people you really need to ask that of are the people in those corporations, the actual staff. Um, I get lots of inquiries, and they're lovely inquiries, about how we can make our service more trans-inclusive. Can we talk to some trans people about why they don't find our service trans-inclusive? And I said, well, absolutely, I can work with you. We can consult with you on this. We can have three-hour training sessions. We can properly give you the experience of what it is to be gender diverse, et cetera, et cetera. These are all things that you will need to put your hand in your pocket to get because we're a tiny charity and we need your money, but I will give you for free. Have you written your transition at work policy? Cause if you haven't, why do you think nobody's coming to you? Have you got any support for the trans people in your organization? I, um, I know we've got to wait another year for the results of the census, but that's, um, I'm really looking forward to those stats. Um, I agree. Those stats will give the necessary evidence to ensure that the support is given. Mm, yeah. Respect as well. So respect, acceptance, just um, that it's a reality. Uh, we, in the UK, we've got an opportunity there. We're literally the first country to ever actually do that the opportunity to take our place back at the top of the countries that are great to be LGBT plus rather than slipping further and further down because we've got this weird idea that that there is there's an argument about somebody's reality. Um there is no yeah. re- no argument of I am me. <laughs> yeah. Um but I think a conflict to someone else's identity versus another person's identity. There is no clash. There is no, no, no. There is, no. There is no being, conflict in that. Being trans, being queer, being LGBT plus, it's an aspect of human diversity. Um, and that's, that's as simple as that. I, I do, um, I just want to say, I use the term queer with the caveat that I fully respect that for some people that is not a word that they feel comfortable with. They certainly don't feel comfortable with using, um, and I'm not using it for anyone um, for whom that would feel uncomfortable. For me, it's the word that adequately describes that none of those other labels are quite me. Um, But to go back to thinking about corporate pride and, you know, pink washing, trans washing, or whatever, um, put your money where your mouth is. Support your your LGBT networks. Yeah, if your group wants a float at Brighton Pride, then put some money behind giving them a float at Brighton Pride. But make sure you've reviewed your policies at the same time. Shout about all the things that you do. You know, Pride 365. 
And if you can show that you're doing that, then fantastic. But for goodness sake, don't stick up a rainbow in your pub window um, when you're on the outskirts of the Pride Square and do absolutely nothing to challenge the homophobic and transphobic behaviour of your punters. Amen. Completely agree, for sure. Well, I can't believe we've hit an hour already. Um, <laughs> we've been yakking away. And we didn't get to talk about some of the other things we, we, were, we were thinking about beyond gender diversity. But, we, uh, we knew it was going to go in a different direction. Yeah, <laughs> we knew, maybe, we knew it we'll wasn't come, going to be what we planned. Maybe we'll come back to that another day, because I, I wrote a blog article back at Valentine's Day about the M&S Colin and Connie love nest um, cake you could buy as a gift. And my, my blog along the, along the lines of m s did a, a really great job with their LGBT sandwich. They put guacamole in it, created this rainbow sandwich. But on Valentine's Day, they, they created this binary cishet cake for people. And Three, I was six, saying, five. why don't we have a Colin and Col Colin option, a, a Connie and Connie, or Connie, Connie and Colin, or Colin, Colin and a Connie, so that you, you can p mix and match your own cake. Um, maybe they're, they're all gender neutral, not using such gendered names as well, so that you can name your cake, name your characters, and you could then be more queer inclusive or, or gender diversity and sexual diversity inclusive. I think just, yeah, move away from gender being the default categorization. For goodness sake, it's like literally 5% of who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do respect that some people find it cute. Some people find that part of their identity, but provide options where for people it, where it doesn't fit their identity or they want to explore a different side of their personality. Mm. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I see what you're saying. But if, if the concept of Valentine's Day is romance and love, then gender hasn't necessarily got everything to do with that. That's two people meeting. Or three, or four, or, three, or, or ten. Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could be whatever. Um, Try it yeah, to and, and... Yeah, we can evolve those stereotypical days, celebrations. Hmm. And I'm not saying we should lose the feeling of Mother's Day or Father's Day for people who aren't, who don't identify in that way. And I was looking on Moonpig, and I saw some some Father's Day cards to my two best daddies. And I thought that was fantastic. There's some really great diverse thinking going on in the Moonpig mm. card range. But I, I found was... Thoughtful have got some very good, more diverse mm. cards as well. So, uh, yeah, other, other card providers exist. <laughs> yeah. You, have, you yeah, still no, have to yeah. dig for LGBT you do. Plus, don't you? And maybe when you said about um, corporate pride, every time somebody does something, it's a little bit more inclusive um what we need to be doing is having it right at the beginning in the marketing the design the, the ideation stage so one always says hmm, how can we make a, a, a queer or a gender diverse or mm. a sexually diverse inclusive version of this product to make sure it's inclusive for all people yeah yeah um, go back to core principles what is the purpose of yeah. this particular thing and how can we make sure everybody can have a, a slice of cake yeah, cause I think we've gone beyond being worried about upsetting people. I think I like to think most of the most most people in, in in this country are now no longer afraid of upsetting people by having a a gay cake or whatever it may be uh, affecting their brand. So I'd like to think we've moved past that. In which case, that's our challenge, isn't it? To to corporate UK. <laughs> we all, all want cake. Everybody want wants cake. cake. <laughs> yeah. And we don't necessarily want straight cake or cis cake. We want all cake, mm. all identities, and we want to feel mm. part of it. We want to be included in and the same way. And we please have vegan cake as well? Vegan, vegan queer cake, yeah, that's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> Without a rainbow all over it, just just nice cake. It could be a, a really nice Victoria sponge or a carrot cake or something. Just something, mm. something really yummy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. On that note... On that note, so how can people listening support Chrysalis? What's, what's the best way to get in touch with you? 
So we are at Chrysalis GIM on all of the social media. So that is Chrysalis, spelt C-H-R-Y-S-A-L-I-S, GIM, for Gender Identity Matters. Um, or you can go on the website, www.chrysalisgim.org.uk. Um, if you haven't had enough of me, I do blog weekly on the CEO blog there. Uh, you can always check out what I'm thinking um, and you can drop us a message through Facebook, through Twitter, through the website as well. And I have personal experience knowing that you can use Amazon Smile and choose Chrysalis as the beneficiary of your charity donation from Amazon. Yep. I also know that on Facebook when it's your birthday, you can nominate a charity and you can also nominate Chrysalis within that. And, and just giving, you'll sit up on there as well, and yeah, many other just ways. Giving, of you can find us on just giving, and um, if you go to uh, charitable.travel when you're booking your holly bobs, um, you can select Chrysalis as your charity there, and we will get 5% of the cost of your holiday. So if you're planning something maybe for next year, then do consider us. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of different ways we're we're registered on Give As You Live and and all those other places as well. So yeah, and like I say, every every fiver, every pound really will make a difference to the service that we deliver. So indeed, or yeah. get involved as a volunteer. Come and find out more about what we do, and again, drop us a message. And I'm a passionate supporter of Christmas. I always. Whenever I'm asked to nominate a charity, Chris is always the only name on the list. Um, and you get my Amazon smiles and my just givings and my Facebooks whenever I can. So, And also I give my time. I'm proud to be associated with Chrysalis. And uh, I know how much support Chrysalis and you personally gave me in my vortex days where I was confused. And I think it's only right that everybody should have that opportunity. So fantastic. Well, thank you. And a huge thank you to the listener. Thank you, listener, for tuning in and getting to the end here. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, please do subscribe to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bytes podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, get them to sign up and subscribe as well. I've got a number of other exciting guests lined up, and I'm sure you'll be inspired by them over the next few weeks and months also. And of course, if you'd like to be a guest, or if you have uh, any comments, feedback, suggestions on how we can improve, send those to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love for you to be a guest. So my name is Joanne Lockwood, and it's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.